You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Well, we are in Colossians, and it is a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's, it's really cool to be a part of these series. When, when Pastor Mark asked me to be a part of this, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to do this. This is fantastic. And then I heard him tee up this first message. And then Naisha brings this powerhouse message. And I've, look, I've, I've had the opportunity throughout my life and throughout my career to speak to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And I've, I've followed up some, some speakers before where, eh, you know, they're not so great. So a mediocre message is okay. They're like, wow, that was great. Man, that is not the case here. They set the bar so high because they're so rich in depth and knowledge that, man, you just got to shoot for the moon. So bear with me as we get through Colossians 3. <laughs> Pastor Mark started off and, and he explained to us that, that it's actually broke, the four chapters are actually broken out into four parts, which is the personal, the doctrinal, the practical, and next week we'll get into the relational. But when he started off with the personal, personal he started off with his, with his message called, It's Time to Grow Up. Well, we have to realize that it's God plus nothing. That's it. Just God plus nothing. We need to stop adding to the gospel. Whenever we add to the gospel, we're, we're, we're treading into legalism. We need to stop trying to create new gospel because that's mysticism. And then we, we have to stop walking in works because that's asceticism. We have to realize that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. Period. Dot. Full stop. Nothing more. Naisha took us to school last week with the doctrinal message and her, her title called It's Already Done. And what did she tell us? The, the, the notes that I have here, study, do your homework. When we start these series, it's, it's, it's imperative that you read ahead and get to know what we're going to get getting ready to talk about. Because what she said was, once we start to recognize that we're debt-free victors, there's nothing that can hold us back. She really focused on Colossians 2.14 and, and said that it was a, a very personal verse for her and her family. It's a very personal verse for me too. Some of you know that for a long time I, I struggled with the bottle and, and when I finally got free of that, this verse was actually revealed to me, opened up to me. And it allowed me to say, that's why you'll never hear me say, oh, I'm a recovering alcoholic on these things because, because according to that verse, Christ took every warrant against me. That means every label, every name, everything that I've been taken and he nailed it to the cross and no longer will I walk in what the world called me at one point. That's why I walk in the freedom that I know of Christ. As we move into to Colossians 3, we're going to start talking about the practical, how to put this, how to, put this to work. And what you'll, what you'll hear, if you've already read through Colossians, you'll understand that it may start to bring back some familiar memories and it's because it's written a lot like the letter to Galatia. Then when we went through Galatians just a couple weeks ago, it's very similar. It, it, I, feel like, I feel like in some ways, Paul wrote the, the letter to Galatia, and, and then as he got ready to start to write this, he was like, man, I just wish I could just control C, control V, and send. Because it's so similar. But since he didn't have that ability to do that, he had to go through it and, and, and start talking about it again. And so he starts talking in, in, in chapter three, starts talking about being a new creation in Christ, putting off the old ways, putting death to the old person. We're new. So we need to, if we're new creations in Christ, we need to start walking like we're new creations in Christ. In verse five, he even says this. He says, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. And he continues to list all these things that we once walked in. If you go back to Galatians or to our, our time in Galatians, he says the exact same thing. Here's everything that you're fighting against. Put them off. Because in verse 12, he says, put on compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He's talking about the fruits of the Spirit. It's the exact same thing. He wrote about it to the church of, of Galatia. He wrote about it in Colossians. If he's writing about it in two separate places, don't you think it was important? And if it was important then, don't you think it's important now? I mean, if they were struggling with it, then, I mean, that means we're probably struggling with it. We're probably fighting those same things and trying to walk in the fruits of the Spirit. In verse 18, he starts to speak to the, to the Christian households. And I'm just kind of going through and summarizing some of these little areas and sections because I want to get us to, to where we're going to spend some time, and that's, that's towards the end. But it, it, it makes... I would be remiss if I didn't spend a little time in some of these areas. In verse 18, he says this. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Be blessed. That's the, uh, that's the. Yes. No, I wouldn't do that. I'm catching glares over here. My wife's about ready to throw a shoe at me. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And, and I know we get that eye roll all the time. Oh, here we go. No, no, no. I've actually, I've, I've talked to people. I've, I've been to weddings and I've talked to, to women that are like, I will absolutely not. No, 100%. No, the submission thing is not happening because there's this lack of understanding because Paul follows it up and says, Husband loves your, husbands love your wives. We have to understand that when we're talking about that, that submission piece and that love piece, it's, it's not about I'm the head, I'm the, you know, and, and, and put you under my feet. It's about this mutual love and respect. It's about being a team. It's about coming together. Now, I'm going to use a reference right here, and I, if, if I encourage you to not go out and watch this movie because it is, there's, there's a lot of things that are very unchristian about it. But as I was sitting here and I was thinking about what does it look like to, to be a team, I was reminded of the movie 300. And in it, before the, before when the, the, the Persian messenger comes and before Leonidas kicks him in the pit, he, he's, he, there's this, this really tense moment. And, and he, right before he makes this decision to go through and, and start this battle, he, he says, he, the, he says, you know, you should have chosen your words wisely. And he looks to his wife and she stands up and she gives him the nod. And then the next scene, he kicks him in the pit. This is Sparta and all this stuff. But the thing, what, what I want to point out, and again, don't go watch this movie because there is nothing Christian about this movie. But what I want to point out, and the reason that I use this illustration is because what, what he does in that moment is he turns and he looks at his wife and he makes sure that they're in agreement with what's getting ready to happen. She gives her approval. She submits to his authority. Now, he is over this entire area. He rules his household, but he won't make a move without knowing his wife, his teammate, his, his, his soulmate is with him. And then the movie goes on and, and you know, it's, it, again, it is what it is. But that, that moment, it's about a true love. That's what the Bible's talking about. It's about true love and respect for each other. In verse 20, he says this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on this for a second. He says, children, obey your parents. Can we bring all of Southview kids in here? Let me repeat this. Children, <laughs> obey your parents. And then he throws this, this extra line in here. I think it's just because he felt bad about telling, you know, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wife, children obey your parents. He's like, fathers, don't provoke your children. Now, if you have kids, you know that that is like one of the joys of having kids is provoking your kids, is messing with your kids. My son's not here, but if I couldn't mess with him about this mullet that he had, then what kind of father am I, right? Because that's just, that's the fun part of parenthood. 
That's the fun part of parenthood. But what Paul, what, what he's saying is, he's not saying don't mess with your kids. He's saying don't go overboard. Don't do it lest they become discouraged. Now, if you notice, if you see my son, you'll, you'll see him walking around here next week. He was at Southview Kids uh, volunteering back there today. But if you see him now, he no longer has the mullet. I discouraged him. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But he doesn't. He cut it. He cut it. But what I'm saying is sometimes parents, dads, sometimes we can go overboard. We can go a little too far. And when that happens, your kids can get discouraged. And when they get discouraged, it pushes them away. That's what Paul's talking about. Have fun. Love your family. Enjoy your family. But don't overdo it. Don't cross the line. As we get down to, to, the, to the end of the chapter, we come to our key verse this week, and I'd ask you to stand as we read the word of the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Father, thank you for these words. Lord, thank you that we have this opportunity to, to sit and to marinate on these verses. Lord, let the message that comes forth today, the message that you've given, let it ring true to the hearts that you're trying to connect with God. Let us all be students of your word. Let us all then it's know, know that, it's, that it's you plus nothing and let us find a way to apply your scriptures in our daily life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Work heartily for the Lord. What's it mean? Well, we're gonna talk about it. But in a nutshell, it means your work matters. What you do matters. But more so than what you do that matters, it's how you do it that matters. And that brings me to our title today, Get to Work. Real simple, just get to work. Don't get confused though, because I know some of you are like, well, wait a second now, you, you said that Pastor Mark talked about it's not, it's God plus nothing, it's no longer about works, and you're right. I'm not saying it's about works. Don't confuse this. Because there's a difference between works and doing work. There's a difference between works and doing works. Works is trying to gain God's acceptance through your efforts. Doing work is what you do every day. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Doing work is not about your eternal salvation. It's about your physical preservation. It's what you do to survive. It's going to work, to make money, to provide food, to do all these things. It's, it's, it's understanding that you have to do something to physically survive, not doing something for your eternal salvation. So as long as we understand that, then, then we're kind of on the same path here. We're, we're trudging down the same road. But as I, as I thought about doing work, I realized that there's a lot to unpack here, and, and, but it all starts out with, with this one question. And I'm gonna ask for a show of hands if you're bold enough, but how many of you are this type of person? Single alarm people. Wow, there's, that's about how many there were in the first service. You guys are crazy. One alarm and you're nuts, wow. Now how many of you, on the flip side, raise the hands, how many of you are this person? There we go. Yeah, there's my people right there. That's what I'm talking about. 26 different alarms, baby. And guess what? I'm not waking up to the last one. Every one of them. You know what? I, this, this is me. 
This is me. Ask my wife. That's why she, look, my wife, the first, like after about the third alarm that goes off, she's like, Lena, she's like, this is Sparta, get out of the bed. <laughs> Kick me out of the bed. She's like, get up. <laughs> exactly. He's going to talk. That's right. You add kids to the mix and it's all over the place. Yeah, you don't need an alarm. I always, always, always enjoyed sleeping. When I was younger, to sleep all day. Ooh, come on now, sleepers. That idea of I got nothing going on. I'm just going to sit in bed all day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go from the bed to the couch and I'm taking a nap. Man, there was nothing like it. Now... I sleep till 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. I wake up, I'm like, what year is it? Where are, I mean, I, you know, I, that's just how it is. I can't, I can't sleep the way that I used to. I would love to, but I can't. But during the week and things like that, I can get up early. I just don't want to. I don't want to. I want every extra second of sleep. Look, my multiple alarm people, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. You want every second of sleep that you can get. Every bit of it. The problem is, when we set all those alarms, we start our day off with a choice. Really, everybody, from the second that you open your eyes, whether it's to your first alarm, like you crazies, or whether it's to your 30-second alarm, like me, you're starting off with a choice. And the choices keep going all day long. It's just a matter of, are you starting off with the right choice? My wife would say, after about the fourth alarm, I have definitely made the wrong choice. I would say if I get up after the first alarm, I'm in the wrong choice. But your choices don't stop. They keep going all day long. From the time that you get up, then your choice to, to drive into work, how you're going to drive, how you're going to respond to people, you start making these choices all day long. And each of these choices is made for a reason. And what you find is that that reason then becomes your why. Your decision to wake up to one alarm why? Because you want to get to work on time. My decision to wake up to the 14th alarm, why? Because I want more sleep. You start to make the decisions. Why do I have to go to work? Why do I have to be on time? Because I want to be a good steward of my time. I want to show, I want to show work what I'm doing. I want, to, I want to do the things that I need to do to make the money that I need to make. You're starting to make these choices. But what we find is, as you start to make these choices, choices the reason behind everything that you do, whether it's personal professional, spiritual, that's your why. And when you identify your why, it has a direct correlation to how hard you'll work at it. I'm getting these looks like, what are you talking about? Let me, let me, let me break it open for you. I like to hunt. I am terrible at hunting. Last year, I spent all season long sitting in a deer blind and I didn't shoot anything. The only thing I got was cold. Now there's other people that, that go out there. I mean, uh, one of the gentlemen in the, in the first service, he goes out there, he steps out of his truck, takes two steps, shoots a deer, and he goes home. I mean, it's just, he's that good at it. Me, I'm terrible, but I still love to do it. But when I go hunting, you saw me, I told you, I'm one of these 26 alarm guys, but guess what alarm I wake up to? The first one. Why? Because it's something I want to do. You see where I'm going with this? My, my want has a direct correlation to my why. I, I start to, to find, okay, this is what I want to do, so I'm going to start to make the effort to do it. Why? Because I want to be in the tree stand an hour before the sun comes up. Because there's nothing better than watching the sun come up on an empty field that you're not going to shoot anything all day, so you might as well enjoy the beauty. Well, but Pastor Josh, you said that, 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 that you love doing that, but you know when it comes to waking your kids up, 
you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to get up in the morning because let me tell you, that's one thing that I don't like to do. I told you, I like to get up early with, to go hunting. But when it comes to waking up my kids to go to school again, every second, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sound asleep. My alarm goes off and I'll wake up and be like, okay, 38 seconds, 17 seconds, four seconds. I can get five more minutes. You know I mean? It's just this constant cycle. It, I don't like to do it. I don't want to do it. It's not that I don't love to get my kids off to school. The problem is it's not, if, if I don't have something that I'm looking forward to, it starts my routine day. It starts a regular day. If there's not something that is a why, I'm not as excited to do it. Regardless of your why, it all, your why is the reason of how hard you work at it. What you want to do is a, has direct correlation to how hard, how hard you work at it. Rarely, Rarely is your why about hard work. Rarely is your why. Rarely do, you, do, do people say, you know what, my, I want to go and I want to work really hard. No, usually your why or the reason that you're doing something is the reason for your hard work. You'll work hard for the things you want. I'll work hard to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go sit in a, in a tree stand, but I'm not going to work hard to get up at 530 to wake my kids up to start going to school. When we start to see our, our work interweave with our why, the work doesn't seem so hard. Are we tracking? Let, let me, I read this article by a guy named Mike Sturm on Medium, and he said this. He said, when something about the work motivates you, you can do hard work without having to work hard. You'll do the things that others can't do because most people don't even think of them. And the thing is that hard work won't be something you need to work hard at. You don't realize that you're working hard when you love what you're doing. That's what I'm talking about. When you love what you're doing, you don't realize that you put in an 18 hour day. Ask an athlete who loves what they do. They don't realize how hard they work or what they're willing to sacrifice until they actually step back and think, oh my gosh, I've been crazy busy. Because they love what they do. They eat it, they breathe it, they sleep it. That's all they want to do is be around it. Well, but Pastor Josh, again, I bring, I bring up the kids thing. Yes. I didn't say I don't, I, I, I didn't say I hate doing it. It's just not something I want to put a whole lot of effort into. But this is why. And let me explain this to you. Because sometimes your why, sometimes the, the thing that you have to do is born out of necessity. Waking my kids up in the morning to get them off to school, that's born out of necessity. Doesn't mean that I, that I don't love my kids. It just means that that why isn't something I love to do. But, but because I love my kids, I'm willing to do the work. And I'm willing to work hard at it. Sometimes your why is just necessity. I want to tell you a story that kind of illustrates this a little bit. It's a real personal story, so, so bear with me. I want to tell you about my mom. Hopefully she's watching online. I'll tell you about my mom. This is my mom. My mom in the, in the center picture is the, the one that's second from the right. Um, my mom has worked hard all her life. I love my mom to death. She's an incredible woman, hardest working woman I know. She was the second of six children born in Savannah, Tennessee, which is just south of here, a couple hours. Father was a sharecropper. They didn't have a whole lot. Matter of fact, this picture on the top left is, is her playing, playing stickball out in the yard when she was young. She married my dad when she was 16 and they moved to Germany. She had my brother when she was 17. My dad was in the army. She had my brother when she was 17. As far back as I can remember, she worked. She worked hard. 
couple years ago, actually it was about 10 or 11 years ago, my brother called me and, and invited me to go up to the Indianapolis 500 with him. And I said, absolutely. I'd love to spend that time with you and, and go and watch the car race. And so we went up there and one night we were sitting out and we, we were having dinner and just talking and we, the subject of my mom came up and he told me this story that really broke my heart and it, for a lot of reasons because it was not something I'd heard about my mom, not something I knew about my mom. And I believe it was, it was before I was born or maybe I was real young. My brother was born in 69, so it had to be early 70s. My dad was out of work at the time and my mom managed to get a job at a factory and she'd go in and she'd work and she'd work hard. Just like her male counterparts, she'd work hard. And at the end of the day, when, when it was time for everyone to punch out and everybody lining up and hitting that time clock, she'd go up and she'd hit that time clock. And, and, but the thing is, is before she could leave, management told her, hey, everybody else is going home, but you have to go clean the men's room and then you can go. You're a woman, that's your station in life. I don't care the work that you're doing, you'll do it. And she did. She wasn't happy about it, she didn't love it. No one wants to go to the GM plant, work an entire day, and then go and clean the men's room before they leave. No one wants to do that. But my mom did. She didn't do it because it was, it was glamorous. She did it because her why was providing for her family at the time. And out of necessity, she did something she didn't want to do because the love of her why was more than the hard work she had to put in. Everything that she ever did, she laid, everything that she laid her hands to, she put her full effort into. Her family was her why. When her and my dad split up, my brother and I, her, her, her why shifted a little bit. Now it just kind of came to my brother and I and providing for us and, and making sure that we had everything that we need. Again, out of necessity. Out of necessity, she did that. When, when my brother went off to college and I was a senior in high school, I, I, I had a part-time job, but we were only allowed to work so many hours. But my mom worked three jobs just to make sure that I had everything that I wanted. My brother was in school, everything that I needed. We didn't grow up with a lot of money, but we didn't know that. It was the great, that, that, that's the beauty of her hard work and sacrifice. My mom worked, she worked an office job. She worked cleaning an office building and she worked at a craft and hobby store. All she did was work just to provide. She didn't have the finer things in life. She never did. But she always did her best. She always did her best to make sure that we were taken care of. And now my mom's retired. She works because she wants to. Matter of fact, I think we have a picture of my mom. That's my mom. That sums up her life. She lives in Mexico, she dances on the regular, her and her husband, they go out, they go dancing all the time. She sends us videos, she sends us pictures. It'll be like a, like a Tuesday afternoon and I'll be in meetings and then all of a sudden my phone, will, my phone will buzz and I'll look at it later and it's like, just having tacos on the beach. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Her why hasn't changed, but the focus of it has shifted. It's still her family and the grandkids now, she spoils them, which is what a good grandparent does but she just doesn't have to provide for us like she used to. What she doesn't know is that what she instilled in my brother and I are characteristics of hard work, sacrifice, and excellence in everything that we put our hands to. My brother and I are successful because of what we saw my mom do. 
Why do I tell you this story? Because when you know what your why is, when you know what you're working for, it gives purpose to what you're doing. My mom knew what she was doing. It gave her purpose to be able to do that. When we as Christians can, can figure out that, that, hey, my purpose is, is no longer for the approval of man, that it's unto the Lord, it doesn't matter what we lay our hands to. As long as we're doing it, our reason, our why becomes the Lord and working heartily unto the Lord. And then all of a sudden our work starts to be filled with joy. We start to see the joy pouring out of us because no longer are we working for the approval of man. Even our necessity, even out of our necessity, we're able to find joy in what we're doing because we're not focused on the, the menial task at hand, the hard thing that we have to do. Work stops becoming work. It stops becoming work. It's not hard anymore. We start to live each life to the full, each day to the fullest. We start to live our life to the fullest. We stop sitting on the couch wondering what's going to happen on the, watching Netflix, wondering what's going to happen on the next episode of Suits. We stop picking up our phone and living life. Oh man, I, I, looking on Instagram, I wish I could live that life. No, we stop doing that. We actually start to, to take control of our life and say, I'm going to lay my hands to this because this is going to make me happy because it makes God happy. And then all of a sudden we're living our best life because we're no longer working for ourselves. We're no longer working for our coworker or for our boss. We're working for God. We're putting our hands heartily to what he's asking us to do, to what's laid in front of us, regardless of the task. We start living and working for something. We start thinking about our legacy. We start thinking about how we'll be remembered. And we start pouring into it a little bit more because it's a little bit deeper. It's a little bit more exciting now because we have joy in the journey, because we have joy being able to walk it out. Last week, we laid a dear friend of ours to rest. 37 years old. Husband, father, friend, great man. We always knew that he was a good dude. We always knew that, 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 he, uh, that, that, that he had a lot of friends and he had touched a lot of lives, but we didn't realize the extent of his legacy until we actually went to his funeral last Saturday and we were walking to where they were going to lay him and as far as I could see in front of me and as far as I could see behind me were people out there celebrating him. 700 people showed up, people on horseback, a mariachi band, Everything, I mean, it was beautiful. It was absolutely incredible. But that got me thinking as, as we're walking. In Matthew 6, 27, Jesus is talking about worry and he says, and which one of you by being anxious can add one single hour to the span of his life? And I'll tell you, the answer is no one. Not one of us. There's not one of us that can do it. When, the, when, when that last grain of sand runs through the hourglass, there's no overtime. There's no extra life. It's done. What are we living for? How are we living our lives? Our friend Juan worked hard. I don't think that there was ever a time that I saw him sitting down and resting. He was always doing something. He was living life to the fullest. Whether he was working heartily for the Lord or not, what I saw in him is what modeled was, is what every Christian should be doing. And that's just living our lives to the fullest, living it for the glory of God. There's a poem, I was going to read it to you, but in the interest of time, I'll, I'll just encourage you to go read it. I've heard a number of sermons talked about on it. It's called The Dash. 
And basically summed up is our entire life, our entire life is defined in a little dash. There's some pictures of tombstones. Look at these names. Famous people, Michael Jackson, Bruce and Brandon Lee, Orville Wright, Mel Blanc, Frank Sinatra, James Dean. Everything that they did, everything that they did is defined in that little dash between the year they were born and the year that they died. Every memory that you have of them is defined in that dash. Every good thing, every bad thing, every positive thing, every negative thing, all of it defined in that little dash, summed up. And as we sat here and, 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 and mourned the loss of our friend, I thought about that. What's my dash say? Is it going to say that I was a hard worker? Poured everything that I could into a job that, that, that two days after I was gone, they listed my job and filled it within a week? Am I the employee of the month? Am I the highest earner? Or is my dash saying that I'm someone who lived life to the fullest? That I loved my family? That I served with joy? That everything that I did, I did heartily unto the Lord? And that I was a positive influence? What's my dash say? Look, we all want to be remembered. Every one of us. Doesn't mean we want to be rich and famous, but we want to be remembered. And we want to be remembered in a way that, 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 is, that is positive. Nobody, nobody wants to live a life of mediocrity. No one wants to just get by. No one wants to just wake up just to be one day closer to dying. Nobody wants to do it. So if we don't want to do that, then why are we? We don't need to be rich and famous. But I want my legacy for my family, for my friends, to be one that people say, man, that dude, for as messed up as he was, he loved God. And no one can ever take that away from him. He loved his family. No one could ever take that away from you. What if working heartily unto the Lord gave our life the meaning we're searching for? What if shifting our mindset just a little bit started to change everything in our life. What if, what if, what if that, those life changes, we shift our mindset, we start, we start working heartily into the Lord, all of a sudden, we start to see our family change. We start to see, our friends start to see a change in us. Our supervisors and coworkers at the job we hate start to see a change in us. Then all of a sudden, our community and our spheres of influence start to change. We start to be infectious in a good way. Where we used to, where we used to, 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 to breed negativity because of our attitude and our, our, our output. Now all of a sudden we start, to, we start to spread joy because people start to rally around us because we actually have the light of Christ inside of us and, and where that light is, the people that are repelling away, it's because that darkness can't be in the same place that we are. Imagine what that's like when you're able to do more than you ever could, more than you ever thought possible because you're no longer working for the approval of man, but for the glory of God.
that's one person. One person. You as an individual, me as an individual, that's one of us. Now imagine when you do that as a body of believers. Wow. What would that impact be like? It would be epic. And it would be global. There's an analogy that I've used. For those of you that, that uh, are Dave Ramsey fans, you've probably heard him use it. I'm pretty sure he stole it from me. Just kidding, Mr. Ramsey. I probably took it from you. But it says like this. It goes like this. The Belgian draft horse is one of the strongest horses in the world, capable of pulling up to 8,000 pounds by itself. Now imagine that being one believer that works heartily into the Lord. When you put two of them together, two Belgian draft horses together, my common simple-minded math says, okay, they can pull double the weight. Not true. They can actually pull 24,000 pounds, three times the weight. Two of them. Now imagine two believers being together. Imagine the, what you can change. Now here's where it gets really interesting. If those two that you put together actually know each other, actually have a relationship with each other, actually have been trained together and they're working towards the same goal, they can pull up to 32,000 pounds, four times what one can do. What's that say? Now imagine that as a body of believers. You take one Christian, they can move a mountain. You put two that don't even know each other together and all of a sudden things are starting to shake. But you put two in relationship together, you put two in relationship together, they can do double the work. They can reach double the people. Why? Because they think the same. We pull together. Our strengths, my strengths overcome the weaknesses that you have. Your strengths overcome my weaknesses. All of a sudden, we set aside our selfish goals and ambitions, and we're pulling together, coming together for one common goal, and that's the further betterment of the kingdom. Spreading the gospel together. What couldn't we do when we work heartily into the Lord? I'm telling you. One little shift in a body of believers will change the world. Will change the world. One person having joy, working for God and not man, will change the world. Because it becomes infectious, it becomes contagious. You ever been around those people where you're like, man, you are so sweet, you give me cavities? Yeah, it's probably because they have the, 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 the love of God, the joy of God inside of them. All it takes is one decision. All it takes is saying yes to God. All it takes is saying, okay, God, I'm done trying it my way. I don't want to work for the approval of man anymore. How do I, how do I further the kingdom by what I lay my hands to? I had an opportunity uh, last week to go and speak to some folks at a, at a, at a business here in Spring Hill, uh, and they, they, they package goods and they send them all across the world. And I told them, I said, you have a very unique opportunity here because as you're packaging these goods and it's really simple just to get in the monotony of putting things together and putting them in a box, putting them things together, putting them in a box, putting belt buckles on belts, all these things. You have a unique opportunity to say a prayer over every single thing you package. You have a, to bless every single thing that you have before it sends out. You don't know where these things are going, but you can bless it. 
and your blessing will shift that atmosphere. Think about that. You put, they put one thing in a box and ship it to somebody you don't know. They put a ring in a box. That blessing goes through the mail carrier's hands. It goes through, through everybody's hands, and then it gets to somebody on the other end, and you don't know if that blessing that you prayed over, that, that ring, now all of a sudden makes a stronger unity or a stronger bond. They had the opportunity to do that. I encourage you, in each of your spheres of influence, whatever you do, Whatever you do, work heartily unto the Lord. Say a prayer over it. You get ready to send an email, say a prayer. Lord, please let this be received the way that I mean it. Whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. I'm re doing research, I'm doing marketing, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm turning wrenches. That's fine. I work, I'll, Pastor Josh, all I do, I work over a discount tire. That's all I do is just put new tires on. Guess what? Every lug nut, Lord, bless this car, bless this car. Safety around this car, safety around this car. 20 lug nuts later, all of a sudden you have a blessed car that goes out on the road. We have the opportunity to do that. It's very simple. But you know what stops us? Our own head. Our own mind. Because we stop thinking about what we can do in the kingdom and we start thinking about what we have to do for man. We stop thinking that, that, that anything that we pray or anything that we say or any way that we act actually makes a difference. Your words make a difference. Your worship makes a difference. How you sew in makes a difference. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.